welcome to Huddle Up with Matias Bueno. Sit back and enjoy stories and insight from sports icons from all over. Are you kidding? This is unbelievable! Touchdown Bombers! Welcome to Huddle Up with Matias Bueno. Today's guest is the all-time leader in points in Jacksonville Jaguars history and aspiring PGA Tour golfer, Josh Scobie. Josh, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for being on today's episode. Oh, thanks for having me, buddy. Appreciate it. How have things been with you down in Duval County, playing lots of golf, enjoying the weather? What, what's life been like for you in the last little bit? Playing lots of golf, that's for sure. Uh, this time of year is golf season for us. And uh, the good part about being here in Jacksonville and in Duval County is the weather is typically always very good. Uh, it's starting to get to that point where we get thunderstorms every afternoon. It's very hot, very humid, but it doesn't stop me from playing golf. And w- would you be able to play golf actually all year round or do people still take their time off in the, the winter, I guess, for, for Florida's sake? The, I mean, fortunately, the winter here only gets so bad every now and again i mean it's never so bad that we can't play golf i mean i play year round and it's actually worse in the hottest parts of the year compared to the coldest parts of the year so that's why or one of the reasons why i retired here and made jacksonville my home um love the city love the people here love the golf courses and love the community Jacksonville is a fantastic community amongst all NFL cities and a very unique one at that, considering the fact that they have the smallest market in the entire NFL. And for that fact, probably one of in all of the major North American pro sports leagues. And yet the team has such a loyal fan base because there isn't any other place in all of America where there's a majority of fans that cheer for the Jaguars. So how did you embrace the community of Jacksonville during your time as a player with the Jaguars. And what were your thoughts on going to the team when you got drafted back in 2004? Well, fortunately, whenever I got drafted here, I came to a community and a city that was pretty similar to where I grew up. I I was born and raised in Northeast Texas and, you know, kind of a smaller town, about a hundred thousand people. Um, and, you know, Southern town, I know uh, where you lived. So whenever you're in the U.S., like in the South, you're used to people having like a really uh, strong sense of community and just being good Southern people, uh, homegrown, love your love your town, love your barbecue, love your football. Um, and then I went to school in Louisiana, very similar situation there, small town. Um, and then got drafted to Jacksonville and very, you know, small community compared to every other NFL city, like you said. Um, so it worked out really well for me because I could acclimate myself a lot faster than if I had been drafted to, you know, the Jets or the Giants or somewhere like that. Um, so I was very fortunate in that sense to be able to come here and make it an easy transition for me as a, a rookie kicker being drafted there are expectations for you because they, the, the team wants you to not only make the team, but do very well. So I was, you know, proud of myself to be able to make the team number one 
and then play 11 seasons for the Jaguars and now, you know, call this my home and feel like I've, I've lived here my entire life, essentially. And the area in which you played for the Jaguars was a very interesting one because there was ups and downs. There was playoff. There was a playoff appearance in 2007. You played with a handful of different starting quarterbacks, a handful of different starting running backs and jerseys changed probably I think <laughs> a few times. Of, yeah. yeah. A few times <laughs> during that span. So in your first year as a rookie, what was an experience or memory that sticks out the most that said to you, okay, now I'm in the NFL or, okay, this is for real. That's a good question. Um, so fortunately we had, we had a lot of good games my rookie year. I think we went nine and seven that year. We almost made the playoffs, like barely missed out. We won the last game of the season in Oakland. Um, but I had a 53-yard game-winning field goal against Indianapolis at Indianapolis, probably maybe week six or seven like that, somewhere around there, and made the 53-yard field goal. You know, I'm on top of the world. We were actually leading the division at that point. Um, so it was, a you know, one of the cooler moments in my life at that point as a kicker. And my kind of welcome to the NFL moment was that following Wednesday. Um, we had to be back at the stadium. We came in Monday, you know, for meetings, you lift weights on, on Monday, you go to meetings, you review the, uh, the game film and whatnot. Then you get Tuesday off and then you have to be back on Wednesday. Um, so somehow I screwed up and my alarm didn't go off on Wednesday morning. So I missed the very first meeting um, after all of that had happened that next Wednesday. So I walked in late to the meeting, probably, you know, 10 or 15 minutes late and everyone just starts clapping for me, you know, in a, you know, condescending way, uh, kind of letting me know that, Hey, rookie, even though you made that 53 yard field goal a few days ago, uh, you still have to show up for the meetings, uh, three days later. And I got fined a couple thousand dollars for that. And that was like my, Welcome to the NFL moment uh, that it doesn't matter what you did last week. It's what you matter. Uh, what matters is what you do this week. <laughs> oh, geez. And, and especially in a moment like that, you'd be thinking, oh, well, maybe they'll cut me some slack or go easy on me because nope. uh, we're still riding high from a, a great road win in the division. Yep. But Yeah, it, they don't they don't care. It's all about. What, what do they call it in the NFL? NFL doesn't stand for National Football League. It stands for not for long. And it's all about what have you done for me lately? So that's the way you have to treat it. It's uh, That was the first time that I realized that it was it was a job. And it's it wasn't like college where, you know, you could miss a meeting. You can miss um, weightlifting. You can miss a random thing here and there. If you if you miss something in the in the NFL, and they didn't have, or you didn't have a really good reason for it. You got fined for it, and um, they let you know about it in a hurry. So the next year, you guys made it to the playoffs in 2005 and lo lost to the New England Patriots, I believe it was, correct? Yes, I've lost to them way too many times. Yes, <laughs> way too many. Like, was there a mini rivalry between you guys and the Patriots? Cause it was Oh five and then Oh seven and a, a few regular season meetings in between there. I'm sure. 
I would, if you ask any Patriots fan or any Patriots player from that era, they would say no, without a doubt, because that was when they started going on their run and they had already won a couple, a couple Super Bowls um, leading up to that point. So I don't think there was any rivalry. It just that the two years that I'm the playoffs with the Jaguars, we had to go through the Patriots. And I mean, pretty much every team had to from 2001 to, you know, 2018, 19, uh, you had to go through the Patriots because, I mean, they were the best dynasty that football's ever seen. And it, it was tough to go up there and play and, uh, you know, playing against Tom Brady and Belichick. And, you know, it, it, it seemed like you were only playing against them too, because you really didn't know, who the other players were, but um, it was, it was always fun to be in that atmosphere and have a chance to move on. And I mean, it, it is tough to win in the NFL and it is a whole lot tougher to win in the playoffs. And speaking of playoffs, playoffs, you guys had one of the most exciting playoff wins in franchise history in 2000, in 2007, you guys were the wild card 12 and four, team yep. playing against the Pittsburgh Steelers at mm-hmm. Heinz Field who were 11 and 5 and you guys were up and then Pittsburgh came back and it came down to a wild finish a nail biter right to the end describe your feelings on the sideline about what it was like to be a part of that wild card win against the Steelers in 2007 well like you said i mean we we got up really early in that game and had a pretty big lead and all of a sudden, Pittsburgh came back, and what they do uh, going into the fourth quarter, they play this song that gets the entire stadium going. Um, I think it's called Black Betty. Um, and they just play this song, and the whole stadium just gets nuts. And once they played that song, the team just thrived off of it and came back and took the lead. And fortunately, we had a very late drive. Um, David Garrard scrambled on like fourth and one or fourth and two and got us down in field goal range and gave me fortunately a really, uh, short field goal to win the game. Cause I think we were down at that point. Um, it wasn't like we were tied where I could miss it and we could go to overtime, but he got me down all the way to like the three or four yard line and gave me a 25 yard field goal. And I had already missed one early in the game. So. I just remember sitting on the sideline, like pacing around, warming up, just hoping that I could get another opportunity uh, to make amends for the field goal that I had missed earlier. And fortunately, I did. And even though it was only 25 yards, um, I still remember, you know, being nervous because, like I said, it's the playoffs and it's very, very difficult to win in the playoffs and getting an opportunity to uh, to to make a game winning field goal, especially there at Heinz field. I just remember as soon as it went through the entire stadium went completely silent because obviously they knew it had gone through and they were going to lose. But the only thing I could hear was our sideline to my right and all of our fans over to my right screaming, like all the Steeler fans completely silent. And then our sideline going nuts so it was kind of a weird feeling. I can still like hear it in my brain right now. Um, and that that's something that like you you don't ever forget. The the little things that are hard to describe to people unless you've actually been in that moment. 
and that the play that proceeded, I guess the the series of down or the the series of plays that led to your game winning field goal from twenty five yards. When the play call came in, did Dave Garrard audible or did he? Um, was it a, basically was it a planned scramble or did he kind of call his own number because he saw an opening and and just wanted to make a play? From every replay I've seen, it looked like that it was a called quarterback draw because as soon as he caught it, he was in shotgun, he caught it and then took off right up the middle. So typically with quarterback draw that it's a designed run. Um, So they probably had, you know, four defensive linemen there up front and they probably had a huge gap in the middle. They, the guards blocked him out and he just went straight up the middle. Um, I just remember that being an amazing moment because I'm standing on the sideline watching going, all right, I'm going to have a, a long field goal attempt here to win it. And then as soon as he took off, I'm like, well, now I'm going to have a short field goal to win it. So it was, uh, it was a much appreciated moment for me, uh, for David to, to get me down in an easier field goal opportunity. That game will forever go down in history as one of the most exciting games in Jaguars playoff history, specifically for the reason that in 2007, and they repeated this feat in 2017, the Jaguars won in Pittsburgh twice in the same season. And they're the only team in NFL history to have completed that in, I think, over 50 years, which is insane. Like 25 yards, 50 yards, a game winner in Pittsburgh in the playoffs is all the same no matter what. Yeah, actually, so now I guess the Jags have done it twice. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's impressive. It, it's hard to win there. I mean, that that stadium, those fans, I mean, I've, I've played there as a, a, a home player for <laughs> a couple games. And, I, I mean, I'm telling you, it's a very hard stadium to, to come in as an opponent and win. Um, and I, I remember, I mean, in 07, we played there, what, three weeks before that playoff game. And it was almost the identical game as – the playoff game where we were up big Steelers came back and then we ended up winning late. And it's a very difficult stadium to play in. Um, It's more suited for, you know, a a ground and pound type of game and not so much for kickers. And there was a reason why there there wasn't a 50 yard field goal made on that field um, for like 10 years. I mean, it's extremely difficult to kick there. And I know from personal experience, it is. And uh, I'm very proud that we could do that. And then when the Jags did it again in 2017, I mean, I was watching and pumped for them. That's for sure. It was super exciting to see the playoff run in 2017, especially because when they beat the Bills, everyone was saying, oh, well, they barely got by them. There's no way they're beating Pittsburgh. And everyone wrote them off and, and then the offense played really well. The defense played really well. The special teams was super clutch. It was an amazing performance all around. And the parallel between that and 2007, I think also united the fans because they knew that history would be able to repeat itself when they knew that things start to come together. Unfortunately, it did the next week again against New England. But yeah, third time's the charm, I guess, when you get knocked out by the Patriots, hopefully. The next time around that they're playing in, in Foxborough, in the playoffs, in the AFC Championship, it'll be to take them to the Super Bowl and not to get eliminated. Yeah, I, I think uh, the best is yet to come with, with this team and this franchise, especially 
you know, with who we have running the show right now with Urban Meyer um, and obviously Trevor Lawrence. I mean, the, the city's very excited right now with the prospect of everything. And I mean, just the buzz around town is amazing. And, uh, you know, we need, obviously we need things to fall in place. You need people like Trevor, um, you know, the, the big name guys to stay healthy. That's what you need in the NFL. You need skill, but you also need a lot of luck. And in 2017, when the team made a big run, they were extremely lucky in terms of how healthy they stayed. And a lot of teams need that luck because depth is a big issue. Um, I think the next couple of years, you know, it's going to be a big deciding factor in how the next five years go. If Trevor Lawrence plays well and he stays healthy, the offense is just going to grow around him. And if, you know, Josh Allen on defense stays healthy, Miles Jack stays healthy, the, you know, deep uh, back in defensive backs stay healthy and they add to their group and add some depth, we're only going to get better. And I mean, everyone, like I said, everyone's excited for the prospect of what's going to happen. And um, I, I just think the best is in front of us going forward. I couldn't agree more. And especially because of the fact that it really couldn't have gotten any worse, like in the last decade, minus 2017. <laughs> and if it wasn't for the Browns going one in 31, I yeah. mean, the Jaguars would have been the worst team of the decade, unfortunately. And you were on the team during some of those bad years and you're on the team during some of the, the better years than. Yeah. I've tried to forget about those two and 14 and three and 13 and four and 12 years, but yes, those were uh, very tough times. But I must ask you though, because when the new regime came in under Gus Bradley and and Dave Caldwell was there, he was quoted saying, you know, there's something wrong in, in the building when the most popular guy on your team is a kicker. How did you take that when you heard that the first time? I must know. I, I kind of, the first time I heard it, I think, um, I think Dave Caldwell said that. Um, I'm pretty sure he said that. But I, the first time I heard it, I was like, oh, oh, that's, that's very nice of him to say. And then the more I thought about it, I said, no, that's a slap in the face to the franchise and to me. And so I'm like, all right, well, I guess I have to prove it to him then. So you know, I, I kicked for the team, uh, two or three more years under Caldwell and, you know, then he eventually traded me, but he's right. Honestly. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that that's not the right thing to say. I mean, if your best player is the kicker, then you have a lot more issues. So you need your best player to be one of the big position players, like quarterback, left tackle, cornerback, defensive end, those type of guys. You, they have to be – your core players have to be the guys that you look at and you say, all right, these are the guys that are going to lead our team. Um, you can't say, all right, we're the kicker is going to lead us today. That's, that's just not the way it is in the NFL. So I, I didn't take offense to that comment for very long. Um, so that's another reason why we're so excited for – the prospect of, of Trevor Lawrence being here. I mean, we're talking about a player that has been hyped since middle school and he's lived up to every expectation. And 
you know, being in Jacksonville and hearing local radio and hearing the press conferences that he goes through and how he's handling everything. I think he's doing all things the right way. And like I said, he just has to stay healthy and play average to above average football this year and next year. And the team is, it's just going to stack up some wins and the organization and franchise is going to get better. Well, Trevor Lawrence has definitely had one of the most decorated resumes for any college prospect, high school's prospect, you name it. Like you said, back to his middle school days. And the Jaguars definitely need more exciting players on <laughs> offense and especially at the quarterback position. Mind you, the franchise being very young, there aren't, uh, there isn't a whole laundry list of starting quarterbacks that have played in, in 25 years. But looking at franchise history, the top three guys that come to mind would be Mark Brunel, Blake Bortles, Dave Garrard, and in no particular order, depending on who you talk to. But I mean, Mark Brunel is basically seen as the best. And then yeah. people talk about, oh, well, Bortles stats and playoff wins versus Dave Garrard stats and playoff wins. But yeah, played different styles. And it's not saying a lot if those guys are amongst the absolute best. Not to say that they weren't good. Blake Bortles definitely had a handful of really good seasons. And then unfortunately, things didn't work out. And David did really well. And then father time caught up but to have trevor lawrence in jacksonville almost seems like a dream come true because you even see in the media oh the jets are going to get lawrence the jets are going to get lawrence oh jaguars fans just just wait for justin fields or you should go check out zach wilson's tape and then as soon as the week 14 blunder <laughs> happened where the punter on the jets of all people yes. made a thank tackle you, punter. <laughs> thank you punter i can't even i can't remember um which who the puncher for the Jets was during that time. But the fact I couldn't that, tell you who it is either. Yeah. Like that he made the tackle. Like, you know, punters for people too. Shout out to Johnny Hecker. <laughs> and that helped the Jaguars to secure Trevor Lawrence, which is insane. <laughs> I think that's one of the funniest things of all. Is that a punter making a tackle helps and also 37-year-old Frank Gore. Frank Gore, thank you, Frank Gore. Yes. We can we can thank the Jets for many, many things and hopefully thank them for things for years to come for that one, because I remember, I mean, I, listen, I, I don't care what the Jaguars record ever is. I'm always rooting for the team to win, but I remember that game and I, I was completely rooting for them to lose. I've never done that before. Never did that as a player, never done it as a fan since. So um, I remember I was driving back with my family from Louisiana and we had the game up on my phone watching it and I'm driving and like glancing at it. And when I saw the punter, uh, you know, swipe him down and make that, I'm like, this is it, this is it. And obviously that, you know, the next week the jets won again. Uh, but that was, uh, yeah, that was big. I mean, there are franchise moments that change history and that was a big one. And, you know, it, it, Trevor, Lawrence doesn't need so much pressure on his shoulders, but I think he is the type of person and the type of prospect that can take that load on his shoulders because he's handled it since, like I said, since middle school and done completely. I mean, not, not just great. He's, he's been the best of the best since then. So obviously he's going to have some adversity um, just like Urban Meyer is. I mean, Urban is not, he's not used to losing. He barely lost at Ohio State, barely lost at Florida. 
barely lost at Utah and was at Bowling Green before that. I mean, barely lost. And that a lot of people talk about the fact that, you know, stress was an, uh, an issue for him and he struggled with that. And that was one of the reasons why he retired and blah, blah, blah. But he's going to have some, some stress at this level. He's going to lose games. He's not going to go 16 and one. I mean, if, if he does both of them, that'd be amazing, but most likely not going to do that. Most likely going to lose some games. So we're going to see how both of them react to that. And I'm sure they talk about it. I'm sure that's not something that they're just going to be naive about and have it be the elephant in the room that, Hey, guess what? We could have a losing season because neither one of them have ever had a losing season as a coach or a player at any level they've ever played. But that's another reason why Shad Khan got these guys, because we have to change the culture and we have to change the organization. And it's going to start this year. And it starts right from the top. And if you look at the years in which the Jaguars struggled, not having strong, consistent leadership really makes it harder on the players for them to win because the Jaguars teams, like you look at, they went one in 15. How many games did they lose within a score that they could have won? The Vikings game, the Browns game, the Packers game. Like there was just an endless, and then obviously there were the blowouts when eventually it, you know, like the bridge finally blows out, but they they might've been getting the phone call from upstairs going, all right, uh, take all the starters out. We, uh, we need to get Trevor Lawrence. <laughs> so I don't believe in that stuff, but you never know. And in, in the bears game, when they started Mike Glennon, even though Minshew was healthy, I was like, you know what? I know that they say that people don't tank in the NFL, but sometimes yeah. you could be convinced otherwise. They, they, the only person that was tanking there was the owner because he knew he was going to fire everyone else because I mean, no one else is around, but shot Khan. So shot was tanking, <laughs> but I mean, if a small, a small price to pay for salvation, I guess. Correct. If, you know, if Correct. that's what, what it means, that's a good way to put it. Small price to pay for salvation. I mean, that's what people were saying when, uh, what's his name? I think it's Greg Williams. who was the DC of the Raiders when they called yep. cover or the, of the jets when oh, they the, called cover zero cover on the zero. And, mm-hmm. they, and they score a touchdown. Like they were assuming that that was what was going to, you know, keep Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes alive. But I don't know. I just, I had a feeling that the jets were, had the chance. They, they were too, too good as a bad team to not win any games. And the Jaguars were too focused on trying to reset that they weren't going to let themselves win. It was kind of like, I don't know if you ever watched the Incredibles, but in the last yeah. scene of the movie, when, when um, his parents finally let Dash enter sports and he's running and he's going to win the race and blow it. I'm like, no, 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 slow down, slow down, slow down. Yeah. make it close, make it close. Like that's exactly what I thought of when watching the Jaguars play the Bears. Like, okay, okay, no, 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 make it close, yeah. don't win, you know, score some touchdowns, give some fans <laughs> entertainment, but make sure you lose. That's a good analogy. I like that. But, I mean, and in your career, you guys weren't ever really in those scenarios i don't know if that's for better or for worse but i mean you still (laughs) had some memorable games during that span and i think correct me if i'm wrong one of the the most memorable games that you've had in your career besides the game winner against indianapolis was the other game winner against indianapolis but i had three three of them three of them against indy three long game winners against indy in my career 
So the 59-yard field goal against the Indianapolis Colts with the game tied at 28 with Ein Eagle on the call. Take us through that final moment. Setting up when say when Coach Del Rio said, Kate, field goal on deck. What yep. was that? What was going through your mind from 59 yards? Well, that game, I mean, obviously it was a very tight game the entire time. And I just remember being on the sideline for that entire last drive. And I I hadn't had a field goal attempt all day because just had four extra points. We're tied up and we were backed up pretty far. Uh, I think we had started out at our own 20 and we just kept making play after play and getting closer. And I remember Del Rio coming up to me and asking where we needed to get to uh, for a field goal attempt. And I told him, if you get it anywhere near the 40 yard line on the other side, I'll be good. And we made one last play, like an out route. I think it was to Taekwon Underwood, just this. I mean, these scenarios, when you get late in the game, the defense knows you're running out routes, like near the sideline. So they defend these out routes so well. But somehow we ran this like 12-yard play out route, boom, to the 41-yard line to Taekwon Underwood and with one second left. And – I, as soon as we made that play in my brain, I'm like, all right, this is me, this is me. And so we run out there. And as a kicker, you always have to be prepared for whatever happens. Um, and the Colts called a timeout to, you know, try and ice the kicker or whatever. Uh, so I figured, you know, we snapped the ball, holder catches it, Adam Podlish catches it, who was the punter and the holder at the time. Um, so I figured I would just get like a practice kickoff and he decides he's not going to let me kick it. So he just puts his hand in front of the ball and I kick his hand. And, you know, as soon as I kick his hand, I'm thinking I'm, I broke his hand and the ball just kind of like squirts off into the offensive lineman. And so I'm yelling at him like, are you okay? You okay? And he was super nervous and adrenaline jacked and everything. And, uh, he's like, no, I'm good. I'm good. So we got the ball back and luckily they didn't have any more timeouts. Um, readjusted, got everything set, snap, hold, kick, hit it. Okay. I didn't hit it perfect. Uh, Cause normally like from 59 with no wind, I'm going to have, you know, six or seven yards left uh, plenty of space to go, but it cleared with probably two or three yards left to go, but right down the middle. And, um, I kind of went nuts after that and did like a soccer celebration victory lap around the field, ripped my helmet off, was trying to not let anyone catch me. So I, I wouldn't be at the bottom of the pile. And, um, actually at one point I ran by Peyton Manning as he was running off the field and I, I kind of remember doing it, but. I ran by him and just gave him like a woo. And like I probably said something inappropriate and, you know, just to let him know that, that we had won. And what's funny is I ran into Peyton Manning a few years ago and he brought that up. He's like, Hey, you remember that 59 yarder that you made against me? I'm like, yep. I remember that. He's like, you remember when you ran around the field and yelled at me? I'm like, what I say? He's like, you said, woo, mf -er. I'm like, oh, sorry. Sorry about that. 
I had no idea that I'd said it. I just yelled at him and, you know, heat of the moment. But, you know, that was like, it was my defining long kick of my career. Um, and to have it be a, a game winning field goal against a, you know, a division rival and, you know, an iconic player like Peyton Manning and a team like the Colts. It was, it was awesome because I had friends in town for that game. I had family in town. They were all there. So afterwards we all got to go out and celebrate. And it was like a, a week long celebration because I actually had two charity golf tournaments that I was hosting that coming week. So it was perfect timing with all that. So I, I got to celebrate all that and, you know, just kind of relive it and be like the toast of the town for a week. And, you know, my, my golf room, or I say golf room, my, my football and golf room still has, you know, the shrine of all that. That's, that's one of the pictures oh, wow. there. And yeah. And then little pictures there. Those are probably hard to see. Then there's me and Benatari. So yeah, that was uh that was a very, very fun moment. Um, and you know, a lot of people ask me about that kick all the time. And I always have different memories and I get different perspectives from fans from that game and they tell me you know where they were sitting for that game where they were watching the game and oh it was it was a fun moment and something I'll never forget no doubt and in the fashion that it came especially I didn't even know that you'd you would hit Podlish's hand and you're worried yeah. about that and especially when you're trying to hit from 59 you got to get almost everything perfect maybe yeah. you know you said you didn't hit it that great and that was basically the bare minimum that was needed in order for you to make it. So the fact that you had to go through that and maybe it was a bit tumultuous at the time, worrying, not trying to worry about that at the same time as making the kick and then making it and then doing the Jackie Moon victory lap around Everbank Field. <laughs> and then, you know, giving a little Ric Flair, woo, up to Peyton Yeah, that's basically that's, what I did. Yeah. That's, uh, that's, I don't know if there would be a more memorable game that could happen in a kicker's career, to be honest. I mean, in terms of the heat of the moment and how exciting it was and the way the, the whole stadium erupted. Now, mind you, kicking a game field goal in a Super Bowl is probably pretty cool, I'm sure. Adam's I, probably I, can't, told you a few I honestly stories. can't even imagine that. I, that, would be, that would be amazing. But like before that kick, I had, I had never made a game-winning kick at home that was very long. I'd made a couple that were shorter, so you're, you know, you're kind of expected to make them. But whenever you make a long one, I mean, it's amazing. I had done it on the road a couple of times against the Colts and um, other teams, but that one being at home made it that much better because you could celebrate with the fans. And that was awesome. Cause I just still remember like leaving the stadium, you know, driving out of the parking lot and people like chanting my name and going nuts. And oh, it was, it was really cool. Yeah, that's that game is just super crazy to think about from a fan's perspective. And then from your perspective, it's just even more nuts. So I, I must know, as a kicker, is there strong camaraderie amongst other kickers and punters in the NFL? Or do rivalries of divisions and teams and historic rivalries get in the way of like interacting really well with, with other, other specialists around the league? I think for the most part that every kicker and punter 
I mean, we all, we all pretty much get along um, because I mean, we're the ones out there in pregame warming up before everyone gets out there and, you know, kicking balls and, and trying not to hit anyone while we're out there warming up. Uh, so for the most part, everyone, every kicker and punter does get along, but you're going to have something every now and again. Like if you play for a team long enough, like I did, um, that you're going to, you know, not root for the other kicker, but um, anytime I watch a game on TV or if I'm, you know, even while I was playing, if I'm on the sideline playing against even the Titans, Texans or Colts, I never found myself rooting for a kicker to miss a field goal because number one, I mean, we're all human beings and we know, I, I mean, I know how it feels to miss a kick and I don't like it. And so I know they're not going to like it. So I don't want to wish that upon them. Um, at the same time, you, you know, you want to win the game, but we're all rooting for each other. We're, we're rooting for you to make the kick and we're rooting for our team to win. So it's kind of, it's a, it's a tough way to look at it, but it's a, a good perspective uh, to have because we all stay in touch. I mean, I played against Vinatieri so many times, but you know, he's a friend of mine and we stay in touch and we talk and there's no hard feelings about anything. He doesn't ever text me and say, Hey, remember that time you kicked the game winning field goal against us? Like, no, we don't care about that. We, we ask about like how your family's doing, how your kid's doing and, and you go on with life. And that's such an important part of being in the NFL. You mentioned earlier that NFL stands for not for long. Well, the only things you really got when your career is all said and done is the relationships that you made along the way and the people you met. So yep. having bad blood, especially to position like kicker or punter with other guys in the division or other rivalries outside the division, maybe isn't beneficial in the long term because now you can look back and say, well, even though Adam and I played against each other and we were division rivals, you know, we're still good friends and, you know, our, our families get together, whatever it is, or whether it's, um, you know, I guess Rob Baronis who played for the Titans during a bit of time in Texas. Yeah, he was, he was one of my friends too. I, I missed that guy. Yeah. Rob Baronis was, was an excellent kicker for the Titans. And who, who, who was the Texans kicker during most of the years? You played um, change Chris, Chris Brown was the kicker for the first bit of my career. Um, but then they had a few after that, but Chris Brown, but he, uh, I mean, if you ask about, you know, kickers that, that got along really well, that were, you know, cordial, he was one of the few that he, he was not very cordial during warmups. He, he was one of the few guys that he didn't like to interact in pregame warmups and whatnot. And that's fine. I mean, there were some guys that like to keep to themselves and that's fine. Um, but he was one of the, one of the few. One of the few. Were there ever any pieces of advice or wise words that you were told by a veteran kicker or punter in your first few years in the NFL that really stuck with you through your career? That's the one thing that, you know, guys don't give advice very often in terms of same positions because you're number one, you're competing against each other and it's your job. Um, so if, if a coach or someone found out that you were giving advice to a, a player on another team while you were playing against them, they, uh, they probably wouldn't like that. Um, the, 
the one thing and the first thing that popped in my head um, was my rookie year. We played in the preseason against Green Bay and it was uh, in Jacksonville and it was probably the most boring preseason game in the history of preseason. But we won, I think, nine to seven against Green Bay. And I had all three of the field goals and kicked a game winner to beat them. And Ryan Longwell was their kicker at the time. And he played for a long time for uh, Green Bay and still a good friend of mine. Um, but after the game, he came up to me and, you know, this was back in, like I said, rookie year. So my leg was really strong, really fast. And he just told me, he's like, listen, dude, if you swing 80%, you're going to be all good. So I'd never thought about that. I'd never thought that I just needed to swing 80% of my strength. I just figured swing as hard as I could every time. And no one had ever told me any different. So I thought about that basically for the rest of my career. And I ran into Ryan uh, back in January at a golf tournament. And I told him about that and thanked him for that advice. And he didn't even remember saying it, but, you know, that's the beauty of it is, uh, you know, the unsolicited advice um, can go a long way sometimes and, you know, framing someone's career, whether it's good or bad. Yeah. And especially when it comes to kicking technique, people or, or there's a lot of people that have a lot of unsolicited advice for kicking. I'm sure you've experienced oh, yeah. in your career, but when it comes to, to that specific piece of advice that Ryan gave you, my kicking coach, when I played after high school, he played in the CFL for many years, way back in the day. And he'd always say to us, less is more. And he always compare big bucket of golf balls versus small bucket at the range. And he would always say, you know, guys <laughs> are trying to, trying to kill the ball as hard as they can. And one they'll pop off and the other they'll, they'll shank it. But when you're at like, you know, 80 to nine, you know, 70 oh, to 80%. Say shank. I can't, that, that word just makes me like twitch. <laughs> I don't like that word. It's like, just makes me go like this, like, Oh, oh <laughs> but I know what you mean. <laughs> so like, what was he saying? So, so he was talking about, you know, when you're swinging at 70 to 80%, that's yeah. what you're going to need at the bare minimum in order for you to feel confident in your technique. You don't need to swing at hundred percent because most of the time you're not going to be attempting field goals that are longer than 45 or 50 yards or in Canadian football. But even in the NFL, like how many times you attempt above like 55, not very many times, you know, exactly. And if you swing at 80%, 50 in you're good, like by a long shot. So it's interesting that that one small little piece of advice was able to have a pretty big impact on your career because you were known to have one of the strongest legs in the league during your time in the NFL, but you're also very accurate to being amongst the highest in field goal percentage in Jaguars history. And as well, during the time that you played, I think you were amongst the top 10 in a handful of years of your yeah. career as well. So, you know, less is more and 80%. If that's what's needed, then, you know, I guess your results speak for themselves. Yeah. I mean, really with, with a strong legged kicker, it's more about making solid contact than anything. Um, because if you have a strong leg, it's better to make good contact with the ball because sometimes you swing smoother, you make better contact. It's going to go farther than if you swung harder and make poor contact. Um, and I've, I've learned that in kicking and in golf. Um, I mean, it, the correlations go on and on and on. Um, but it was great advice from Ryan Longwell and something that I 
you know, still teach to kids now, like, listen, it's better to make good contact swinging smooth uh, than it is to swing hard and completely miss it. Um, at the same time, I'm whenever my son gets into kicking, he's nine right now. He likes to punt the ball kicking right now. Um, I mean, at a young age, it's hard to get the ball in the air, but I'm going to teach him to swing as hard as he can. And we'll figure out how to make it go straight later on. And that's definitely one of the great benefits of, you know, when, when your kids start to get older and, and when you're a golf dad and a football dad, especially as a kicker, you know, you're, you just must be, rubbing your hands and licking your chops saying, well, now I get to, to mold, to create the yeah. mold for, for their, their ability to, to kick and to also play golf, because that's definitely a, a thing that is very, very hard to master, no matter how, how old you are when you start. You can never master it. You just got to try and get better. It doesn't matter what sport you play. You, you can never master anything. You just got to try and get better every day. So Josh, we're getting towards the end of our time on today's episode. So I want to ask you a few quick wrap up questions, yep. have some fun and, and maybe get some quirky stories or different things that happened during your NFL career before we part for today's episode. Okay. Who is the funniest teammate you played with in Jacksonville? Oh, geez. Someone asked me that a while back. That's a good question. We have some good ones and some that you might not even know the names of. But we had there. There's three that come to mind. Um, but the one of the funniest he actually still lives in Jacksonville. His name's Kyle Brady. He uh, he was a tight end. Um, he the fir- very first team meeting we had uh, my rookie year. It was his tenth year, and I accidentally sat in his seat in the tim- uh, team meeting room, and he came up and you know tapped me on the shoulder and told me I was sitting in his seat and, you know, I apologized and he's like, Oh, it's okay. He's like big, gentle giant. I mean, this guy's a monster and he's like, Oh, it's okay. Just sit right here. So I sat next to him and, you know, we start chatting. I introduced myself and um, he's like, so what's your name? What position? I was like, I'm Josh Scobie got drafted in the fifth round. So, Oh, I'm Kyle Brady. Nice to meet you. I'm like, are you an offensive tackle? He's like, no, I'm a tight end. I'm like, you're a tight end. He was six six and two eighty. Like that, I'm not used to seeing it. Six foot six, two hundred and eighty pound tight end, but this just monster of a man. But he was funny because he was just this random prankster. He would like to play pranks on everyone, and not only would he do that, but he had this like alter ego that I, I I mean, I probably shouldn't even be saying this, but he, he probably wouldn't even like this, but his alter ego had a name and the name was mango. And this mango person would put on roller skates and roller skate around the locker room and only a jock strap and fully, fully naked other than jock strap and roll around and throw out suckers to people in the locker room. That's what he did. And then one day at practice, he came out and he lit up a cigarette while we were stretching. Just smoked a cigarette in front of the coaches. And Del Rio was the head coach at the time. And he just laughed it off. And Kyle Brady was, he's like, hey, listen, they used to do this back like 10 years ago. It was no big deal. And Del Rio's like, 
yeah, that's true. I can't do anything about it. That's, I mean, this dude was hilarious, like a very subtle, subtle funny. And I appreciate that kind of subtlety. And I didn't even think that you would bring, bring up his name, but it jumps. The first thing that jumps to mind when you say Kyle Brady's name was the clip of top top 10 draft steals from NFL network. And they're talking about Tom Brady. And he says, Oh, uh, hi, Mr. Kraft. I'm Tom. He says, Oh, he called me Kyle Brady. Kyle. (laughs) Tom Brady is like, Oh, hi, Kyle. Oh, I'm Tom, Tom Brady. So I'm Tom, not, not Kyle. Being confused for Kyle Brady. The first thing that jumps to mind is, you know, him. And then obviously maybe something that he doesn't look back upon fondly, but him being drafted by the Jets and then them wanting Warren Sapp and freaking out. But Kyle Brady had a pretty good career as a Jaguars tight end. I'd I'd honestly argue that him and Mercedes Lewis are like neck and neck for like top two guys. So it's, and then it's even funnier. I didn't even think that he was that big. I knew he was like a a big guy, but like massive, just a big, thick dude. I mean, 6'6", 280. I mean, that's a, large human being. I saw him just a few days ago. Um, like I said, he lives here now and he's actually in real estate and has his pilot's license. I mean, he's, he's the man. He's a very good dude. Speaking of big, strong guys, Maurice Jones drew though. He's not very tall. He laid one (laughs) of the, the deadliest hits I've ever seen in NFL history for a running back. The, the block against Sean Merriman in 2007, like yeah, the lights out, lights out dance, whatever stupid dance that was. Like, what was that like watching on the sideline? Or did you not catch it as it happened? I don't remember catching that, whatever it happened, because we were probably, you know, we we're down near the goal line. So I was probably either warming up in the net or getting ready to kick an extra point. Um, but I remember watching it. Um, in the team meeting the next day and going, Oh my gosh. The fact that someone that's five foot seven, five foot eight can put a, a hit on someone that's, you know, uh, outweighs them by 40 pounds and eight inches can do that. It was all like, yeah, I mean, it, it motivated everyone. And that, I mean, I've seen that hit a hundred times, if not more. Um, but Maurice is, you know, still a close friend of mine and we keep in touch. And um, one of my favorite teammates of all time, because that dude could, he could give the trash talk and take it all at the same time. And he's so good on TV. I mean, so good and very well-spoken articulate. Um, And there's, there's a reason he was a really good football player. And there's a reason he he's doing what he's doing now. Now, I must ask you this. Have you ever witnessed Maurice Jones-Drew and Fred Taylor arm wrestle? I have not. And if they, ha- and if they did, who would you take in an arm wrestling match mm-hmm. between MJD and Fred Taylor? I'd have to give Fred some, some leverage there because his arm would be probably a little bit longer, I would think. Maurice would be a little bit shorter armed. Um, so I'd, I'd give Fred the advantage there. Uh, Fred was my neighbor for like four years, um, while we were playing and one of my closest teammates and, um, probably maybe my favorite teammate other than any punter that we ever had. Um, but yeah, I, I would give, I'd give Fred the leverage there just cause he's older and he'll be a hall of famer one day. Absolutely. Send Fred Taylor to the hall of fame 
send him there. He de- he deserves it. He gets disrespected more than anyone I've seen. I mean, I mean, we we have three legitimate guys that Jaguar guys that should be in the Hall of Fame with Tony Baselli, Fred, and Jimmy Smith. Um, but I think Fred Fred should be in. I mean, if if he's not in in the next five years, I'll be shocked. But then again. You know, nothing surprises me with NFL uh, Hall of Fame voters anymore. Yeah, that's at the end of the day, Jaguars fans can rest knowing that Fred Taylor was, you know, still amongst the greatest running backs in NFL history, being top 10 rushing and having played less years than several of the people who were in the top yeah. 10 for rushing yards. Like that'd be like saying, oh, Emmett Smith is the best because he has the most rushing yards. Like, okay, well, yeah, exactly. That they have play? to, like, they have to look at pure numbers and, not necessarily championships and everything else that goes with it. I mean, Fred, Fred is a big dude. I mean, he's six one and he probably played at 225, 230. I mean, when I first saw that guy when I got here, it blew my mind how big he was and how muscular he is. And then I saw him run and I go, oh my, like, how in the world can anyone ever catch this guy if he gets past him? And I mean, so many plays that I can remember when he would bust it through the D line and get through the second level. And you knew that no one was going to catch him. I still remember one play he had uh, against the bills at home. First play of the game, like 90 yards, boom, gone. And it was, it was so impressive to watch him because he was so big and so strong, but faster than everyone else on the field. And that's hard to do. I mean, there's a lot of these running backs now that are big and strong, but they were they were not as quick and agile and fast as he as he was. So he he deserves his recognition. And wasn't it the Steelers regular season game, or am I maybe thinking of another one when Fred Taylor set the rushing record for Jaguars franchise history? I think he had like 253 yards in the ground or something like that. Was that the Steelers regular season game in Oakland? That, that was yeah, that was the Steelers game. That was before I played though, but that that was against the Steelers. Yes. Oh, okay. 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 Cause I remember seeing a, a highlight package of that. And I was like, man, like he, they don't, they don't, you know, they don't make them like they used to because now you have guys that are more finesse or better at yeah. catching out of the backfield. But Fred Taylor was like the true ground and pound running back, especially the 90 yard tug against the dolphins in 99. Oh, one of the most iconic touchdowns in yeah. NFL playoff history. I've seen that play. And I didn't even play then. Like that was before I even started playing football. Or that was 99, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was my first year of ever playing football. And I've seen that highlight a hundred times, maybe more. And it's so much fun to watch because not only, you know, Fred making the amazing plays and outrunning cornerbacks and safeties and, you know, juking people and gone, but then Jimmy Smith catching him and like outrunning him and blocking someone as, you know, like, as a convoy into the end zone and they once both of them get in the hall of fame, which I, I really hope they both do. They need to play that video and say, this is what teamwork is. You have one of the fastest players at his position in the NFL and then a faster player <laughs> coming to catch him and leading him into the end zone. Like go back and look at that. And the path, the last like 20 yards, Jimmy Smith, passes everyone and just blocks the cornerback coming in. It's, it blows my mind. 
that that play, especially you mentioned Jimmy Smith catching up, like that's he had blazing speed. And again, Jimmy Smith is another guy that doesn't get the respect he deserves from Hall yeah. of Fame voters and for, from more people around the league, honestly. Like I think Jaguars fans are really the only people tuned into how good he really was, especially the again, before you even start playing football, the 96 wild card game against the Broncos, like that, or divisional round, pardon me. Divisional yeah. round against the Broncos, the catch and a double coverage the toss from Mark Brunel yeah. the run before, like in, in the community of Jacksonville, have you interacted with like all the legends from the Jaguars nineties teams or like maybe half of them? I, pretty much all of them. I mean, since this is home for me now um, and, you know, being very active with the Jaguars and at the games and we do a lot of, you know, Jaguar legends events and whatnot. Uh, I, I mean, I've, I know pretty much everyone and have interacted with them all. Um, and, you know, fortunate enough to play with Fred and Jimmy. Uh, so still know them and keep in contact with them. Um, so I, I obviously I see all the highlights and the things that they did before I got here. And, you know, it would have been nice to be able to recreate what that magic that they had in 96, 97, 98, 99, uh, I mean, we had a couple good runs and um, unfortunately never got to the point where they got to the AFC championship. But like I said, I think um, the best is yet to come for this, uh, the new regime. This is maybe a non-related football question. What show is better, Friends or Seinfeld? It's a dumb question. That's I love Friends. Don't even get me wrong, but my both of my dogs passed away last year. Um, their names were Jerry and Newman. So I'll, I'll just leave it at that. I, I don't know why I just had this feeling before. And I didn't even know that, that your dogs were named that I was like, I feel like you're a Seinfeld guy. I don't know what it is. I feel like you really like Seinfeld. It just, I don't know what it was that made me have Ob- obsessed. Uh, Seinfeld is my favorite show of all time without a doubt. Um, uh, and then uh, the office is my second. Oh, because I was gonna, say, I was gonna say, you know, or maybe the office, like the subtle. I guess you're you're a guy, the kind of guy that really likes the the subtle humor, and then also the yes. the slapstick. Darkness. Oh, this is gonna happen, and then it happens, and it's still funny. Yes, that's a that's a good way of putting it. My yeah, my wife doesn't appreciate that all the time, but yes, <laughs> I'm very very sarcastic, very dry humor. <laughs> Are you also a curb guy? Did you get into that after after Seinfeld? It's weird. I don't know why I never got into it. I've, I've seen episodes of it, but I never fully got into it. I, anytime I see like highlights of it or, you know, something will pop up and I'll watch a scene. I love it, but I never fully got into it. I don't know why. I've, I've seen more curb than I have Seinfeld, but I must say like both, both shows are, are super, super funny. Larry David's a genius. Jerry Seinfeld is a genius. The Office is also a super fantastic show. And it honestly just keeps the laugh last going forever and ever. And Seinfeld, like arguably the most iconic sitcom of all time. Like, I don't know if there's a close second in terms of longevity and just pure gold. So then let me ask you, what's your favorite Seinfeld episode ever? You probably oh, thought geez. It's called The English Patient. That's a good <laughs> question. I already know it. You can uh, you can look up one scene. It's 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 got to be my favorite scene. Um, Jerry and 
Kramer are talking and Kramer can't speak for some reason. He just keeps going like, and I don't know. I'll look it up. I'll show it to you, but it's called the English patient. And Jerry is working out with, he he got like a trainer because someone thought he wasn't very strong. So they got a, a, a trainer for him. And the guy's last name is Mandelbaum. And they just, the whole episode, they go, Mandelbaum, Mandelbaum, Mandelbaum. I don't know why it's funny, but it's funny. You'll have to watch it. It's called The English Patient. And the final question I have for you is, if there was to be a Netflix special made about the Jacksonville Jaguars 2007 season, who would you cast as the role of yourself? Got to be... Matthew McConaughey, <laughs> because he and I went to the same high school and he played football too. So he'd be like, all right, all right, all right. Because he would see that Longview Lobo jersey right there and he'd want to do it. And quite honestly, I mean, I don't know if he can rival the kicking skills that you have, but you know, maybe Probably the not. good looks, but I mean, at the end of the day, that connection with the high school, that's, it's, it's too, too small for there to be that much of a coincidence, especially when it comes to the U S and how big things really are down in the South and how many high schools there could be, you know, it's just, that's, yeah. I, I think that'd be a really good, good person to, to play. Yeah. He you. might not agree with that, but yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Well, with that, Josh, I want to thank you so much for having been on today's episode. I really enjoyed talking Duval football, old stories from the Jaguars, and a little bit about what is the deal with Trevor Lawrence? That's pretty good. What is the deal with Trevor Lawrence? Yeah, that was pretty good. That was Mine was more of like a country accent, but yeah, that was good. You did a good job. Thanks, well, thanks for having, for having on today's me, episode. This, it was It yeah. was super, super fun. Yeah, it's awesome. Doing a, you do a very good job with this, so good luck with it. Well, thank you for listening to today's episode with the all-time leader in points in the history of the Jacksonville Jaguars, Josh Scobie. First and goal from the one. This is it. Stiegel. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Huddle Up with Matias Bueno. Check out our social media pages for more at huddleup underscore MB. For full audio, head over to Spotify and Apple Podcasts. For full video, head over to YouTube at Huddle Up with Matias Bueno. Tune in next week for another great episode. See you next time. Eating healthy is a common goal that people strive for, but it can be tough when life gets very busy. Being able to eat healthy on the go is becoming more and more important. That's why I'm here today to tell you about G2G Protein Bars, the best protein bar for eating healthy on the go. It is all natural and made with fresh ingredients like homemade, but better. G2G Bars contain 18 grams of protein and are gluten-free. With eight different flavors, you'll be sure to enjoy many of the great tastes that G2G bars have to offer. They are fresh, healthy, and delicious. 
Get yours today at g2gbar.ca or at your local retailer. G2G Bars. You will taste the difference.